love the, love the Word of God? How many know the Word of God changes us? How many know that the Word of God challenges us? How many know the Word of God comforts us? How many know that the Word of God, uh, man, it, it is our guide to life. It is, it is our instructions, and, I, I, and the Lord has given us His will and His written Word, and it's a beautiful thing when we don't know what to do. The books of this, this pa- the pages of this Bible tell us everything that we need to know a- in our life. How many know that we can find the answer to any situation and any problem right here in the covers of this book? Amen. And so we're going to look here at Hebrews chapter 13. And Hebrews, just a little recap for because I haven't been here in a minute. But in chapter 11, we saw the, the, the walk of faith or the hall of faith, as we like to call it. There's this long list of people throughout Scripture where that we, we talk about people walking in faith. How many know that, uh, you know, it takes faith to believe in the Lord and it takes faith. Faith is what what leads us, and so it's, in, and, and the writer of, of Hebrews is telling us that faith is important. Then we get to Hebrews chapter 12, and he starts talking about hope. Everyone say hope. And how many know that there is, there is wisdom in hope? Where there is no hope, you know, uh, the expectation of coming good, man, people walk around depressed. People walk around defeated, right? If you have no hope, I tell you what, it's, uh, I believe it was Paul who said, if I had hope in this life only, I'd be a most miserable man. But there's a hope for us as believers that one day we're going to be in heaven with the Lord. Come on, all things are going to be made right and everything's going to be made new. Amen. And so uh, and then here in chapter 13, we'll see the way of love. Everyone say love. All right. So there we go. Faith, hope, love. If you're going to build a church, you need to build it on faith, hope and what? All right, man, those are are beautiful things, and so I, I love how this uh, this ends. And I know the book of Hebrews is written to uh, Hebrew Christian believers who were Hebrews who were kind of trying to go back into their old way of rituals and things like that. And uh, he is challenging them and telling him telling them that there is a new covenant, and the new covenant is through Jesus Christ. So let's let's dig in tonight, uh, uh, chapter thirteen, verse one. And if you need a subheading here, the beginning portion of this is uh, the sacrifices pleasing to God. How many want to be a sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord? How many want your life to be pleasing to Jesus Christ? If you don't, man, uh, the altars are open right now, all right? Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but I want my life to please the Lord in everything I, everything I do, the way I walk, the way I drive. Come on, I need to work on that one a little bit. The way I drive, the way I, I talk, the way I... Uh, everything that I do, I want it to just show the love of Christ. So it says this in, in verse 1. It says, let brotherly love continue. And we're going to look at um, some characteristics, seven characteristics of, of, of the virtue of love here. So let brotherly love continue. So love shows itself. Here You can write these down here in this first little portion. Love shows itself to our friends and those that we know, right? Right? How many... Think it's easy to love on people that that like your family. Sometimes, all right, not all the time. I know some of you are like, man, some of my family members are hard to love on, right? Uh, but it's easy to love on someone that you, that you care about, right? It's not as easy to love on somebody who you don't like as much, right? Maybe that person that cut you off in the parking lot or or this. But this love here is that that word filio. Uh, brotherly love, you know, we get that uh, uh, Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia is the, the city of what? Brotherly love. That comes from filio, the Greek word filio, love. And uh, and it means this. It means affection towards friends. Affection towards friends. And the Hebrews who were saved, they were showing filio love towards each other. But the writer of Hebrews, which we don't know who it is, we don't we have some clues, but we don't know exactly who it is, feared that the idea of returning to Judaism and its traditions might hinder or discourage them from encouraging each other in the faith. Right. What happens when when life throws you lemons? It's easy to go back to what's comfortable. Right. When why do people not want to be challenged in life. You know, some people are afraid to, to apply for a new job because what if I don't get it, right? Or I'm afraid of rejection. They're afraid of things. And and what he's saying here, what happens to us when we don't 
move towards what God is doing, guess what? Our, our, what we do is we like to go back to our traditions. We like to go back to what's comfortable for us. And listen, if we are a people who love God, we should constantly be chasing God. How many know we got to go where the hockey puck is going and not where it's been, right? Well, that church doesn't fit my criteria of what I like. Well, you know what? We got to go what God wants for us and not what we want for us. Amen. The early church understood this very well. And, and how many know that when difficulty comes, it's good to have a friend around that, that knows and can talk to you, right? Uh, that knows you. And sometimes it's just good to have a friend. Sometimes you just need to tell, just get some stuff off your chest every once in a while. How many have a good friend like that? All right. That's good. Look at this. Verse 2 says this. Do not neglect to show, to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So, um, loves, so here's the second thing that love does. Love shows itself to strangers, to complete strangers. By how you act, people see you, right? Uh, you, people are watching you in Walmart. People are watching you in the gas station. People are watching you a, in the restaurant, right? And they're watching to see, hey, hey, I know that they go to church, and I want to see if they truly love people like, like Christ is telling them to love people. Uh, how many remember the story when the angels approached Abraham as he sat in front of his tent? He realized and he understood something supernatural. There was something supernatural about them, right, in, in Genesis 18.2. And, and here's what we need to know. You know, some people say this. Well, you ought to pick up every hitchhiker you know because guess what? You could be entertaining an angel. Let me give you a little bit of advice and a little bit of wisdom. Whoo, come on, right? There's this thing inside of you, listen, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's this thing called discernment inside of you. And, you know, there's been times where, man, my heart is bleeding for somebody, you know, they're just like, man, I need help, and I, I'm having so much compassion for them. And the Holy Spirit checked me and said, nope, don't do anything. Come on, have you ever been on that side? Some of you say, well, my flesh has told me not to do anything for them, right? But there's this thing of discernment where the Holy Spirit will speak to you. So I don't think that's the case that you should pick up every hitchhiker. Sometimes that's just not a wise thing to do, right? All right, come on. You know, I, um, and there's been times where, you know, where I've helped people and, and, you know, there's been times where I've helped people and I've wondered, man, could I have, have been entertaining an angel in that moment? It, could I have just done something, you know, was the Lord just using this, this, this person or this event to, to challenge me? I remember the, my dad telling me this story. There was an older couple in our church when they pastored in Mississippi. I was really, really young, but I remember him telling this story. And they, they had a blowout in the middle of, uh, of town, and they were driving down this street, and they're tired. Blown, and both of them are way up there in their age, and they're, they're not really in any, ca in any condition to get out and change this tire. And, and lo and behold, you know, someone, um, a young man just walks by, and he says, hey, let me help you change that tire. And so he gets down, and he changes that tire for them. And um, within, you know, about five to ten minutes, he gets the new tire on. And, and they're talking to him, and he's just a kind gentleman, and he's like, you know, uh, and they're like, let us, let, let me go to the car, let me get inside the car, and let me give you some money for helping us. And, uh, and in the process of them getting inside the car, this young man walked away. They drove around for like 10 to 15 minutes, could not find this young man. And sometimes, I think sometimes in our life, we may be entertaining angels at times, amen? And that's a, that's a neat thing to think about. But I think the key to this is being discerning, all right? Everyone say discernment. Got to know that, just discernment. Um, you know, I wish uh, I could help every hurting person in the world. I do. Um, and, and, you know, we do everything that we can. We love on people the best way that we can. But you know what? There are a lot of people who are not honest, who are not, who, and, and you know what, what's sad about that is that hurts the, the people who really do have a need. It, it really, it does. So look at this. Verse 4 says this. Let, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let, mar and let the marriage bed be undefiled. So here's number three. Love clings to one spouse. Woo, come on, somebody. Right? And me and Tristan just celebrated our 20-year anniversary, and I've been loving her for a long time. She still makes my liver quiver. Come on, right? 
And uh, man, I still, I still feel, feel fireworks when she kisses me. When she looks at me across the room, whoo, man, I get excited. I feel butterflies still. Come on, how many of y'all know you ought to still love your spouse that way? Amen. Amen. I hope she does the same with me. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case, but, but, but it says this. Uh, 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 this here is to counter uh, the the uh, teaching there to to make sure that when when you marry someone that you're doing there's a gnostic deal happening here with the Hebrews and they didn't believe in the institution of of marriage and they discredited it boy that sounds a lot like our society now right why should I get married why should I do that why should I follow these old ways come on somebody right oh that's old way of thinking and and here's the thing the author here is defending the God's design for marriage plain and simple he's just saying hey Love clings to one spouse. Uh, let marriage be held in honor among all. Come on, somebody, right? And let the marriage bed be what? Undefiled. The way that God designed it. One man, one woman. I didn't write it. Take it up with the Lord. He could work on you and change your heart and make your heart right. All right? All right. So let's, let's for God. Now, here's why. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I don't like that side of it, right? The book of Proverbs makes it plain that if you give yourself outside of marriage, you will experience destruction of your soul. What? What's that mean? How? When two come together physically, it is not only the melding of two bodies, but of two souls is what Proverbs tells us. Proverbs 6.32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who, who, he who does it destroys who? Himself, herself. You're destroying yourself is what, what this tells us. So look at this, verse 5. Keep your life free from lo the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor what? Forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So here's. Here's what um, what the uh, this this next one is. Love brings satis satisfaction. Everyone say satisfaction. Um, it's not money that satisfies, but it's the Lord, our Helper, that satisfies. How many know? How many could say I need a little bit more money in my life? Come on, you can raise your hand if you're. Come on, you can be real with me. How many could say I need a little bit more money? Will not satisfy. Because what happens is, hey, you get a little bit more money, and guess what? I could use a little bit more money, right? I could go just, and it just keeps growing and growing. So uh, how many remember this? I, I can remember this in my life when you were first married. Come on. You didn't have any money. I, me and Tristan didn't have any money. You were living on beans. Come on, cans of beans, top ramen, those little Vienna sausages. I ate those. Tristan didn't eat those. And all that little syrup that comes inside of them, right? Come on. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a delicacy. You lived on a second-hand couch that your mom and dad or your great aunt gave you because you couldn't afford a new one, right? Come on. Uh, some of you, boy, I'm getting right down. You lived on Goodwill Finds, right? I bought this lamp at Goodwill. Just slap the TV. It'll catch a station eventually, right? You didn't have money but love. Woo, man, it, it, boy, you, boy there, was a, there was a lot of love, right? You didn't even notice that things were broken. You didn't even notice that things were backwards because you were what? In love. You know what love does? It brings contentment in your heart. It brings, hey, I, I'm good. I, you don't have to have much materially, right? When, when you're with the right person, it doesn't matter. Me and you, baby, that's all I need, right? You don't even notice those things because cause love, it brings contentment and satisfaction. So, too. Here's what, I, what I'll tell you. So, too, if I'm in love with the Lord, I won't covet what other people have. You say, God, why do they have that? Why can't I have that? I want that, Lord. Because I'll be content with whatever I have simply because God is my supply. He is with me. He is my helper. He, he helps me. Love brings satisfaction. Lust of the flesh brings what? Covetousness. So, number seven, or, or verse seven says this. Remember, your 
your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, I want you to notice something. It doesn't say follow them blindly, does it? It says notice the outcome of their life and then imitate it. You know, uh, a lot of leaders are not are not perfect, amen? And a lot of other people are not perfect, right? And so here's the next one. Love is seen in submission. Everyone say submission. Oh, I hate that word, right? Don't we hate that word, submission? I don't want to submit to nobody. I want it my way. I'm Burger King, right? I'll have it my way, Lord. No other way. Some of us have trouble with that. Paul said this, imitate me as I what? Imitate Christ. Pretty big statement. How can I get my, my kids to respect the authority I ha- I've been given, o- given over them? The answer is this. Base your words with your kids upon Scripture. Plain and simple. Hey, this is, this is the final word. This is what I, I'm telling you. This is it right here. Tell them not only what to do, but tell them why and, and, and show them in Scripture, this is why we do the things we do because this is what the Lord says I should do. This is why we help the homeless. This is why we help the needy. This is why we do this. This is why we go to church on Wednesday for edification, for building up, for growing in the Lord. Show them in the Old Testament. Show them in the New Testament. Show them in the parables of Scripture. Listen, I know you want the church to to give, give your kids everything, but your kids can learn more at home with you in Scripture than we have time with them here. That's just, that's just numbers because you get them a lot more than we do. Uh, so if I only tell my kids what to do and never tell the why, they ultimately will rebel against uh, uh, what they see as legalism. We go to church just because. Because I said so, right? All famous words, right? We go to church because I said so. And eventually they grow up and they're just like, I, I, I'm not sure why we went to church. But if I can look at the scripture and it says, well, it says to not forsake the, the assembling of each other. So that's why we go. I understand. Now I understand. I need the edification, the building up of each other. Uh, remember when we submit to the word that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would, would, uh, would bring to remembrance all that he had taught. So when we submit to the Lord, when we do what he says, come on, he begins to remind us, hey, this is what the Lord says. It helps us. The problem uh, uh, is this, that, that, that nothing can be brought to your remembrance that you've never stored in your memory. Well, oh, that means I got to get my, my word, right? That means I got I to gotta hide this thing in my heart, and then the Holy Spirit can say, hey, do you remember what you read a few months ago? I do. Live it out, right? All right. Uh, read the word, mom and dad, and teach it to your kids. Verse 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So uh, here's the next one. Love's source, are you ready for this? Love's source is Jesus. Love's source is Jesus. You know what I, I you know what they tell you when you, uh, you know, you call tech support with your computer. They're like, I'm having trouble with my computer. Or they're like, uh, you know, or my computer's not turning on. What do they say? Is it plugged into the wall? And you feel like an idiot, right? Or is this an issue? Is there power there? That's one of the first things they ask you, you know. And, and, and you're like, yes, of course it's plugged into the wall. And you look over there and you're like, oh, whoops. Oh, it just magically turned on all of a sudden. I don't know. You know, come on. Some of you, some of you act like you've never done that. Check the source. Check the source. Check the source. If it's not like Jesus, if it don't talk like Jesus, if it don't act like Jesus, check the source, right? The fact that God's love can flow through uh, and from us to a dying world or, or from a husband to a hurting wife or, or caring about suffering with people. It, it amazes me that, that we can do that, but it's only through, through Jesus. It can be found in the presupposition that Jesus is the source and he will never change. Amen. How many find I love people that are the same all the time? Have you ever been around somebody that changes when they get around certain people? Isn't that annoying? 
I like people that are just the same. I don't care who walks in the room. Man, it be the same person. I, I love people that are the same. Oh, how I, how I love people that are consistent, right? Oh, people that are consistently driving on the on on the highway fast. Come on, yeah, consistently fast. I'm sorry. No, no, no. How I love people that are consistent. You always know who they are. You always know what they're where they stand. You always know they're going to be at work. You always know. Hey, if you call them, they're going to pick up the phone. Come on, right? Dependability. Whoo, man. You know, if you if your life depended on you, someone answering a phone, could you? Call someone that was dependable that you know would pick up the phone. Boy, most of us would be like, ooh, what a scary, scary business right there. How many know that Jesus is dependable? Right? How many, how many have lived that out, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? I mean, he is dependable. He is consistent. His love, his mercy, his grace, they're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Verse 9 says this, do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching. So, um, on the cross, Jesus never said to be continued, did he? No. He, what did he say on the cross? It is what? It is finished. It is finished. Or he didn't say, oh, it's almost finished. No, he said it is finished. It's done. No amount of self-sacrifice on your or self-effort or works of the flesh or anything else that you can do, listen, what that does is that diminishes the work on the cross. Well, I have to do this. I have to do this to be saved. Listen, uh, that's not the way it works. Um, yeah, I'll give you a good example. Some of you um, may be in here. I don't know. I, I know there are some people that say this. You have, to, you have to be baptized to be saved, you know. I don't necessarily agree with that statement. I think that Jesus asks us or Jesus commands us to be baptized. But that baptism, that, that baptism does not save us. It is just a public confession. We're telling the world, hey, my life has been changed. The old man is, is, is gone and a new man is coming up. Come on. And, and so, uh, you know, some people say, well, you have to be, have to be saved uh, or you have to be baptized to be saved. And you know what? That is an additional work to salvation. We got to be really careful with that because how many know that God's grace is sufficient? Ephesians 2.8, right? Well, it's not by anything that we can do. You know why? Because we can't boast about it because Christ said it is finished. It's done. Nothing that you can do. Uh, uh, that would be adding to the finished work of the cross. And I, and I think you should be, uh, listen, I think everyone should be baptized. Go do it. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, I'll, I'll mess with your, some of your theology. The thief on the cross was not baptized. Ooh, ooh, ah, ooh. But where was he? He was with Jesus in paradise that day. Some of you say, hey, uh, uh, when you're saved, you, you have to dress a specific way. Oh, watch out now. I think you ought to be modest in everything that you do. Listen, modest is hottest, right? I saw that shirt. I think that's a great shirt. Modest is hottest, right? But, but listen to me. Uh, uh, while, while God is working on you, there's a sanctification process that happens within us. And, and, and listen, he, he, he fine-tunes us. But if somebody tells you, well, you have to dress a specific way or you have to do this, this specific way. Listen, you're, you're borderline. You're getting into legalism and saying, hey, it's not so much about the work of Jesus on the cross as much as it is me putting on these clothes and dressing this specific way. How many know that that's dangerous ground? All right. So stay away from those kind of teachings. Now, those are just two examples I could go on and on and on and on. And I'm not picking on those things, but I'm, I'm just giving you some good, good, sound doctrine teaching. How many know that God's grace is enough? All right. Uh, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, all right, by grace, God's grace, right, it's him, unmerited favor, not by foods, not, okay, he's talking to the Hebrews here, it's not by what you eat, so calm down on your diets, right, it's not, uh, you know, uh, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So speaking to the Hebrews, the author is saying, hey, stay away from the rules, stay away from rituals, stay away from those things that, uh, that tell you you have to eat a specific way or it has to be this kind of sacrifice. Instead, keep your walk within the Lord's grace. Some say, you know, well, I miss tradition. I, I miss the tradition. I miss those things. How can we worship without traditions, without rules and regulations? Read on. Verse 10 says this. We have an altar from which those 
who serve the tent have no right to eat. All right, verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned where? Outside of the camp. So this word altar is used to represent the sacrifice of Christ. So on the day of atonement, okay, the day of atonement, the priest would, would could come could come could not eat the animals that were sacrificed for the atonement of sin. They they could not do it. They had to take those animals. They had to take them outside. Instead, they were they were burnt outside of the camp. And the believer has a sacrifice. And how many know that that our sacrifice is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. Amen. He he atoned our sins of humanity with his death on the cross. But unlike the believers in the Old Testament, the New Testament believers symbolically symbolically receive their daily bread by simply believing in him. John 6, 41 through 58, if you need a reference there, look at this. Verse 12 says this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to what? To what? Sanctify the people through his own blood. So Leviticus 14, Leviticus 16, and Exodus 29 are passages that speak of the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement from the cleansing of lepers and the, and the consecration of the priesthood. And they were offered where? Outside of the city, okay? Uh, so, too, Jesus left the temple. He left the city. He left traditions. He left regulations behind. And the priestly robes, the incense, and all the rituals that, that, that which people were enamored with. So taken outside of the gate, the King James Version says this, without the gate, everyone say without the gate, to a hill called what? Calvary. To a hill called Calvary, Jesus is outside the gate. Look at this, verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So he, uh, the writer's saying this, get out of the camps. He's, he's saying that, get Get out of the camp of religion. Get out of the camp of legalism. Get out of the camp of religiosity, right? Leave religion behind. Leave traditionalism behind. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? I like 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, that we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? I, it's beautiful. Verse 14 says this, for there we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. There's a guy in the Old Testament who uh, the Lord told him to, to go to a city that I will show you, right? What's his name? Come on. Anybody know? Come on. Everyone, who's scared? Everyone's scared to even say his name, right? Uh, Abraham, right? The Lord came to him and said, hey, I, go start walking, and I will take you to a city, but I'm not going to tell you what the city whose builder right, and maker is the Lord. So that's a beautiful bit of scripture. And, um, and, and, and can I tell you this? As Christians, as sojourners, as pilgrims, listen, this earth is not our final resting place. We're just walking through this thing, all right? Listen. I know, 70, 80 years, we're going through it. Man, it seems like a lifetime, but I promise you, this life will be small compared to eternity. In the grand scheme of things, hey, we're just going through this. And so the writer here, he's saying, hey, we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Thus, we have this reason to follow Jesus outside the city, outside of the restrictions of religion, all the way to Calvary. How many know that Calvary changes things? Amen. Verse 15. Through him, then let us continually, oh, I like this part, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. How many love to praise the Lord? All right. So even though the sacrifice of the Old Testament isn't necessary anymore, believers are to offer some spiritual sacrifices. So let's look at these. I'm going to look at a couple of these. Number one is the, the fruit of our lips, our praise. Everyone say praise. Praise. It's our uh, it's the fruit of our lips giving thanks. When's the last time you lifted up your hands and said, thank you, Jesus? Amen. When's the last time you, you opened up your mouth and you begin to just praise the Lord? I, I love to do that in the car. I know people when I'm by myself probably think, that guy is talking to himself, but I don't care. I just praise Jesus anyway. You know, praise, um, uh, you know, praise is often our, our response to some action that directly benefits us, right? I got a new job. Praise God. That's our first response. God save me. Praise God. I'm glad for that, right? Praise God. It's a response to it. 
And we feel generous because we we extend our praise to the Lord because he's done something amazing for us. And that's great. It's easy to praise God when he has blessed us or protected us, right? Praise comes a sacrifice when maybe God doesn't respond or answer our prayer the way that we want him to. Then it becomes a sacrifice because it's like, well, God didn't answer my prayer. He didn't heal my need. He didn't touch my situation. But God, I'm going to praise you anyways. Doesn't matter because you know what? You're good. I trust you. I love you. It's a lot harder on that side of the fence. How many can say, I've had to praise myself through some hard times in my life. I've had to really dig my heels in. Sometimes I don't feel like praising the Lord, but sometimes I'm like, God, I'm going to praise you anyway. It's tough right now. I'm struggling right now. I'm even, you may even be mad at the Lord, but you ought to try to praise him anyways. It takes an act or the, uh, or uh, of the will to lay our all on the altar before God sometimes when we don't understand what he's doing, right? When we bring a sacrifice of praise, we choose to believe that even though life is not going as we think it should, God's still good and can be trusted. That's hard to walk out. I know. That's, that's tough to walk out. When we choose to praise God in spite of the storms, he is honored and our faith grows deeper. I'll give you a good example of that. Job, man, Man, Job had every reason not to give God glory, had every reason to quit on God, had every reason. And honestly, his wife said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? But he wouldn't do it because he knew God is good. I don't understand everything, but I trust him. I know he's going to pull me through this. So when we, we choose to praise it, so our praise of God is not to be based on our opinion of his job performance. Let me say that again. <laughs> Our praise to God is not to be based on God's job performance. It's based on his character of who he is. Praise cannot be treated as a reward system. We give God his praise because he's blessed us. And I think you ought to praise God in all circumstances, right? Isaiah 29, 13 says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I mean, I mean, how many times have you come in with just the wrong attitude of, of you know, I, Lord, I love you. You know, pastor's up here. Everybody say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. He's been so good to me, right? Uh, you know, but real praise continues regardless of the circumstance. It flows continually from, from worshiping heart. In good times and bad, we see this in Acts 16 with Paul and Silas. They had every reason in the world not to praise God, but what did they do? Hey, we're in prison. Might as well praise God. We're stuck here. Might as well just make some noise while we're here, right? Start worshiping God, and God does the miraculous. A sacrifice of praise comes from a humble heart that has been purified by fire. It rises from a spirit that has chosen to honor God in spite of the pain and whatever life is causing in your life. Psalm 51 says this, verse 15, 17. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken in a con contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Sometimes my praise is... Just from the broken place, God, I don't know. My life seems like it's in shambles, but I'm going to praise you anyway. And sometimes you're just weeping and crying. You don't even know why you're weeping and crying. But, but God, you just got to praise him through those circumstances. Look at this, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So two other ways to sacrifice spiritually is this. Um, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd much rather do the first one, give God praise with my lips, and the next one is this, is we can give sacrificially with our possessions. Oh, man, now this is where it gets tough for us, right? Oh, this is my stuff. Get your hands off of it. This is my bank account. Get your hands off of it, right? How many know that we can be a blessing to other people? How many know that God blesses us to bless other people? Amen. Thank you for that. Luke 18, 22 says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, he's talking to the rich young ruler, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. That's the story of the rich young ruler, and he, he does that, and it's a sad state because the rich young ruler 
cares more about his possessions than he does following Jesus. And Jesus knew this from the get-go. We see Jesus tell him, hey, go sell everything you have. You know, here's the thing. That, that begs the question, should we sell all we have to follow Jesus? Is that what it takes? I, I know that's a tough question. Nobody wants to answer that one. I was like, no, I'm not, not going to answer that one, Pastor. I don't like that one at all, right? I don't think everyone is the rich young ruler because I believe this. I believe that, that the rich young ruler, one of the things that was an idol to him was his possessions and his riches. And I think the, Jesus is identifying something. Hey, there's something between you chasing me, and it's that right there. And he would not give that up. But listen, the rich young ruler, he had, he had made an idol of his possessions and, and money. But I, I think it's good to give our possessions when we, can, when we can help others, right? Give someone gas money, man, that needs it. Give someone, uh, uh, you know, some food. Give someone an extra couch. Come on, I'm glad someone gave me an extra couch when me and Tristan got married. Come on. And, and you know, uh, you know I, I, I was thinking about this. One of my former pastors that I served under in Texas, uh, he had this, I remember he was showing he had this really cool knife, and I was like, man, that knife is the coolest knife. And he was showing some people, and, and uh, some uh, a young man came in. I said, show him your knife. I was telling him, show him your knife. And the young man was looking at his knife. He's like, man, that is such a cool knife. And I'll never forget the pastor of this church. He, he goes, you know what? You can have it. And I was like, God, why did you just give it to him? I was just right here, you know, talking about how good of a knife it was. And and he and he said, you know, you can have that knife. And I said, didn't you just get that knife? He goes, yeah, I just got that knife. He goes, but he goes, you know, the Lord's really been dealing with me about things that are mine are really his. And he goes, and even though I like that knife, the Holy Spirit told me to give that young man that knife. So, you know, it's our, our possessions and our our time and, and, you know, those those are all things. Here's the next one. Everyone that, that, that we can give sacrificially is our lives. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I love this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, come on, that is good and acceptable and perfect. So, uh, you know, uh, what we can do here is give the Lord our time, give the Lord our service, give the Lord our life. The problem with the living sacrifice is this. We don't like to stay on the altar. Right. I, I think I think back to Abraham when he took Isaac up and, and God told him to sacrifice. If I'd have been Isaac, I'd have been like, no, sir, Abraham. No, sir, dad. Uh, 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 uh. What do you mean you want me to sit down on this altar? What what are you talking about? This this ain't going to work for me. I'd have been fighting because I'd have been like, I am a living sacrifice and I am getting up off of this altar right now. But but how often now that sounds so silly to us. But how often is the Lord saying, hey, I need you to. Give me some time. And you're like, God, I can't do that right now. I can't give you my time. I can't give you my effort. And we like to wiggle off the altar, right? Verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So, um, there are leaders and there are mentors and there are pastors and teachers watching over all of us. And, and each must give an account before the Lord concerning their ministry. You know, I have to give an account for my ministry to all of you. Man, that's, I, I think about that often. I think about the weight uh, of being a teacher, you know. Uh, of, and James tells us not everyone needs to be a teacher. Think about think about it hard before you you start saying, "I want to teach the word of God," because you're going to give an account for everything that you've said. Uh, I, I I love this, and so uh, let them let them do this with joy. If I've learned anything as a pastor, is that uh, the joy of the Lord is truly my strength. It is. It's the thing that keeps you know. I love it when someone's like, hey, good job on that sermon today, Pastor. And then I've had people come up to me and say, hey, nice try. We'll, we'll come back next week and try it again, right? Um, you know, no, no one's really ever said that. I'm sure they've thought it, but they've never actually said that to me. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy comes from the Lord, not happy church members. Ooh, come on, right? He's my source. 
hey, you can you can compliment me all you want. I'll never I'll never deny any compliments. You start you know you start you start picking at me. I'll just tell you go the other way. But 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 it's the Lord, right? And, and, and so as a pastor and as a teacher, hey, we ought to be we ought to be the most joyous people because hey, the Lord's helping us. He's giving us strength. Here's the next thing: no groaning. Oh, this is for the pastors, not for you guys. But hey, it's it's good. Don't give your leader or pastor a reason to groan or complain. Whew. Right? Please. Please. I'm asking, please don't give your pastor a reason to complain or groan about, about things. Don't, don't make them feel anxious when they see you and they're like, oh, they're here. Oh. I, wish I, was, I wish I had a room full of pastors. They'd be cracking up right now, right? Uh, verse 18 <laughs> says this. You know what you should do for your pastor? Pray for us. Pray for us. <laughs> I like the writer right here. I'm like, man, the best thing you can do for me, don't talk about me. Pray for me. Hold me up in prayer. I'm human too. Ask the Holy Spirit to kick me in the tail. Sometimes I need it. Amen. Sometimes you need it, right? Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Verse 19, I urge you uh, the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. So I like how after talking about submitting to your leaders, the writer says, pray for them. Pray for us. You can submit to us, but pray for us because, man, we're in a daily battle and a daily grind too. And the enemy comes in strong and wants to cause discouragement and wants to, you know, make pastors quit. I think the average is, I don't know what the stat is anymore, but I think it's 1,800 pastors quit the ministry every month. That's, that's a lot of, that's, that's terrible, isn't it? So pray for your pastor. Say, Pastor, are you quitting? No, 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 no. But I'm saying pray for me. Pray for me. Pray that God would strengthen and encourage and, and be a shield around me, that God would lift our heads because we're praying for you, that God would, would encourage you, that God would strengthen you, that God would lift your head, that God would help you out. And this is what I've learned, that complaining about people won't change them, but I know that praying for them sure helps. I know that, praying about them, praying for them. Now, 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 one step further, complaining about your pastor probably won't change much about them either. But praying for them will help them. You know, I, and just being real here, pastors are people. Your leaders are people. Your mentors are people. And they need prayers and encouragement just like you do. You know, it was interesting. I came in, in tonight and I saw Carrie and I said, Carrie, how are you? And she said, it has been a terrible week. It's been a hard week. And I said, it will get better. You know, and I like that transparency, you know, that realness sometimes, that rawness, you know. Um, man, it, I, would, I would be uh, amiss as a leader to tell you everything's fine, everything's fine when the world's collapsing, right? But just being real, you know, uh, being authentic and just so I, I promise you this. Let's do this. I promise I'll pray for you if you pray for me. How about that? Amen. That's a deal. That's a deal. I'll pray for all of you. The ones that aren't here, I'll pray for them too. All right? And all right? Verse 20 says this, and this is the end. It's a benediction. It's interesting because there's a benediction and then there's a final statement. So this, you know this guy's a pastor because he's got like three closings right here. So benediction, verse 20 says this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing to the sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Everyone say amen. The title, God of Peace, is used six times in the New Testament. And if you want to write these down, you can write this down. Um, Romans 15.33, I'm not going to read it. First, uh, Romans 15.33, 1 Corinthians 14.33, 2 Corinthians 13.11, Philippians 4.9, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and Hebrews 13.20. I'll read those again for those of you that are writing. Romans 15.33, 1 Corinthians 14.33, 2 Corinthians 13.11, Philippians 4.9, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and Hebrews 13.20. So six times, uh, uh, the title God of Peace is used in the New Testament, which, and whenever this title is used, listen, when it says, hey, the God of Peace, you know what that's telling me? 
to cause trouble but to the writers, that is, there's not peace where they are at. So he's telling them, hey, the God of peace is, is in your midst whenever there's division or there's a lack of, peace, uh, uh, lack of peace amongst the recipients of the letter that's being given out. So here the readers were wondering if they should reject Christianity and return to the old law and, 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 and because they were facing persecution. And persecution, can I tell you this? When you're going through persecution, it'll make you stop and evaluate what you're doing. This is hard, right? I don't know how I feel about this. I can't tell you how many people, when I worked in the oil fields, we had people that came to work for us that were sometimes recently released out of prison for crimes and stuff, and they're trying to make their life right, and they're trying to do things. And they, I don't know how many times I often heard them say, it is so much harder to make a living doing things right than it is to just break the law and make a living. And I, and I thought, man, that, that's crazy that, that, that it would even be that way. But, you know, but persecution, sometimes when you're trying to do the right thing and life's falling apart, you're like, is this really, really worth it? But I, I believe this, the God of peace, this is what I know. Scripture tells us the God of peace will guard what our hearts and our minds. Come on, how many believe that if he's the God of peace? And, 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 and in Romans, it tells us that the God of peace will also, what, crush Satan underneath his feet. That's beautiful. So again, Jesus showed his love for us, the, uh, uh, the good, the great shepherd. He laid down his life for, for those, the, the Hebrews there and for us, making intercession for you and me. There he is, making intercession with the Father, saying, hey, I have done the work. Look, here, I, I, look at these wounds. Look, I'm interceding for you. And so again, Jesus, he showed his love for us. And the, and the blood of Jesus, how many, I, I love this, I know I talked about this Sunday, the blood of Jesus washes, washes us what, white as snow. And can I tell you something about the blood of Jesus? It's eternal. It's the eternal covenant, which supersedes the Mosaic law. Why? The blood of Jesus has the ability to make us complete and whole. The sacrifice of animals in the Old Testament could not do it. Truly, there's power in the blood of Jesus. Amen. How many know that the blood of Jesus, the good shepherd and the God and the God of peace? And, and think about think about this. I mean, for just a moment, what a time to be alive that we can walk in that, that we can stand in that. Can we, you know what? Can we just do a, can we just do this for a moment? Can you just close your eyes? Come on, just in this moment and right where you're at. Can you just, you know, if you feel comfortable, lift up your hands, begin to thank the God who, who died on the cross for you. Begin to give him praise in this house. Begin to love on him just in this moment and begin to thank him for all that he has done. The good shepherd, has he been guiding you? Has he been your, the God of peace? Has he, has he been the blood that has redeemed you and made you right? Amen? Amen. Look at this. The last, last subheading here is this, these final greetings. And, and verse 22 says, I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. And so the, the actual King James Version says, I have given you just a few words. It's a brief letter. It's 13 chapters. That's, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. The author of this book is a man after my own heart because he says, it's a brief letter, but it's 13 chapters, all right? <laughs> Come on. Everyone's like, hey, man, Pastor, you've got a lot of words, right? Uh, but take heed to the author. He's saying this. Take heed to my words. Don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. Walk them out. So is the danger of you and I. We hear a lot of teaching. Come on, right? We hear a lot of preaching. But how often do we neglect living it out and doing it? How often do we just say, ah, I'll, I'll save it for later. I'll, I'll do it later. You know, I thought about this, that, you know, the test is always after you've read and you've heard the material, right? Very seldom do you go into a classroom like, hey, we're going to test you on this to just make everybody fail, right? No, they, they, they show you something. They teach you a topic. They go through it. And then they said, hey, this is going to be on the test, right? How many of you have those good teachers? You need those teachers to tell you 14 times. This is going to be on the test. TJ, you need to write this down because this is, oh, this is going to be on the test. I understand now, right? 
But the Word of God has every answer to every trial. And I said that earlier, that that we could face. And here's the thing. When the test comes, ah, what I love about the Word of God, it's an open book test. We forget that sometimes. Hey, I can open this book and I can find the answer to, to my situation. The whole exhortation is a reminder to, to the Hebrews and to us in this whole book. If you could sum it up, it's this. Don't depart from the living God. Stick with him. Keep maturing. Keep enduring in your faith. Don't quit. Here are my few words or, or what, you, what you could say. Hey, this is all I got to say about all that, right? Kind of Forrest Gump, right? That's all I want to say about that. Anyway, all right, verse 23 says this. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released. With whom I shall see you if, if he comes soon. Verse 24, greet all, all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. And it's in verse 25, grace be with all of you. So Timothy, Paul's young protege, is, is mentioned here. And most likely he's being released from prison, which is interesting. But And those from Italy may refer to, to uh, pe- people who like pizza. No, that's not. Uh, I don't know. Uh, those from Italy may refer to people living uh, there or people who were uh, now living, were from there and now living elsewhere. But uh, this does not give us any context to the author or its recipients. But uh, Matthew 5.3 says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of, right? Who are the poor in spirit? People like you, people like me. When we realize that, that the blessing can't be based on my devotion, my diligence, my sincerity, or my spirituality, but it's based on the work of the cross, Jesus Christ, and his grace. Amen? It's got to be grace because, hey, guess what? We're all sinners. I, I know you don't. You may not think so. You may think you're an angel, but our motives are mixed sometimes, right? How many can say your flesh gets in the way sometimes? Come on, right? And the kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit because guess what? They don't try to earn it. I don't have to earn it. Oh, that's beautiful. And they just marvel at God's goodness. And, and they say, man, God, I can't believe you'd save a person like me. I don't. Do you know what kind of scoundrel uh, that Mark Lynn is? Lord, I can't believe you would save a guy like him. I'm just teasing. I'm just picking on Mark. He's easy to pick on. Um, but I agree with this ending of this wonderful book. Grace be with you all. How many are thankful for God's grace? Hmm. Hey, man, how many are thankful for God's grace? You, you are only here today because of Jesus Christ's grace. His mercy upon you. Hey, man, can we do this?